unrivaled odds. This is South American Soccer Insights. into the final straight in South American World Cup qualification. Who will join Brazil and Argentina on the plane to Qatar? That is the question. So we look back on another dramatic round of qualifiers and ahead to March's final showdown. Plus a quick look to the start of this year's Copa Libertadores and any other transfer chat that may pop up. As ever, I am joined by Mr. Tom Robinson. Hi there, Peter. Good to be back chatting about a, a pretty exciting uh, round of World Cup qualifiers. Maybe Simon won't agree with me, but um, it's definitely getting to that business stage and, and obviously looking forward to the uh, the very early stages of the Libertadores now as well. Yeah, absolutely. And as you mentioned there, Tom, we also have with us uh, maybe not too happy, Simon Edwards. Yeah, I was I was talking before the World Cup qualifiers how I love World Cup qualifiers in South America. It's the best tournament, a 10-team league with lots of competitive nations, the whole of the continent watching. And that's all true. Um, but when you don't score in seven games, you, you do kind of lose a bit of the excitement. But we'll, we'll get into all of that stuff. It's uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, we definitely will get into that exact subject. Um, we had another two rounds uh, of fixtures in South America. Brazil and Argentina, of course, already have their places guaranteed. And it's below that where things are a lot more interesting. Ecuador are almost there, not guaranteed their spot, but they drew in a bizarre game against Brazil 1-1 in their first game of last week. And then they followed that up with another 1-1 draw against Peru. It's below them where things get very, very interesting and probably the big winners of the last doubleheader were Uruguay, who are now sitting in that fourth and final automatic spot after back-to-back wins. Peru sit in that playoff spot in fifth. And then we have Chile and Colombia, as we mentioned. Um, As we've talked about it already, we'll come to you with that subject, Simon, because it kind of felt as though we've been talking about especially the fourth and fifth positions in South America now for the last few um, international breaks. It felt as though in the last one, with just one round, of course, or two rounds, one window still to come, as there was maybe one big winner, which was Uruguay being able to get back-to-back wins and get themselves up into that fourth, and one big loser, really, which was Colombia, who have left themselves really on the outside in in need of a bit of a miracle, really, uh, in March, if they're going to make it. Yeah, it shows how quickly things can change in a, in the space of a week. Colombia were, in, I believe, in the automatic spots before. It seems so long ago now. Uh, and then to lose that game, particularly a game against Peru. Against Argentina, obviously, recent history, Colombia and Argentina has always been tight. I think Colombia, uh, you know, obviously Colombia got, got a win recently. The Copa America was very tight. Uh, it's been a close game. Uh, and although the result may look a little bit close, <clears throat> on, the, on the evening, Colombia really didn't produce anything. One, I think one Miguel Borja chance was really the only thing Colombia did away in Argentina. And I think the game at home against Peru just completely destroyed all of the hope and all of any remaining optimism in Colombia. Um, Colombia had 30 shots on, on goal, which is obviously the big stat and, and is obviously massively relevant. They kept Peru at arm's length for most of the game, but there weren't clear-cut chances. It wasn't like some of the more recent games we've seen where... The, it's kind of come down to poor finishing or bad luck. And there was a bit of both of those things, as you'd imagine if you have 30 shots on goal. Um, but it wasn't like they had these really simple, simple chances. Gajese made a few good uh, saves, but I think the closest Colombia came to scoring was almost an own goal. Uh, so it's like Colombia was so in control of that game for large spells. Obviously, Huge credit for Peru to go in the, the other end and getting that that win. It's a massive, massive result there in Barranquilla. There's questions in Colombia as well as to whether Barranquilla is actually helping. Um, one complaint that Colombians have is that a lot of people go to the Caribbean coast to watch Colombia and it's a lot of rich people from the big cities who enjoy a weekend uh, on the beach and then, you know, watch the game as kind of part of a bit of a holiday. And, and there's complaints that the Peruvian fans are making more noise and, and getting behind the team more than Colombia were. Um, but it's it's not an easy place to go. It's hot in Barranquilla at three in the afternoon. So huge respect for Peru for sticking into the, sticking, keeping their tight organization in defense and, and hitting Colombia on the break. But uh, honestly, it, 
the desperation Colombia were feeling at, at points in that game. Literally, Wilma Barrios was the only guy in Colombia's half, and that's a and that's a <laughs> defensive midfielder who's the only guy receiving the ball from a goalkeeper. So they definitely threw everything at it in that particular game. But the frustration was growing and growing and growing. Colombia have scored fewer goals in their last seven games than San Marino, um, who have never who have won one game since 1986 or something like that. So, you know, <laughs> while the nil-nil draws are at times valuable, uh, you just got you got to score a goal, you know. And I still think Colombia should win at home against Bolivia, and they probably should win away against Venezuela, or that would be a, probably a more tricky game. And that will put pressure on Peru, and that will, you know, make things... You know, put pressure on Chile and Uruguay and I think Colombia will make this competitive down to the final game depending how results go elsewhere but Colombia had everything in their hands and now completely depend on Peru Chile and uh, I think Uruguay probably best for Colombia if they win but it now comes down to Colombia hoping uh, Peru can't win any of their next two games and uh, and Chile don't get much more than a point so it's all gone out of Colombia's hands and uh Massive frustration. They named, I think, nine forwards in their squad, um, and uh, they couldn't get they couldn't get any goals on the board. And, and the thing as well about Colombia is the substitutes they were bringing on <clears throat> have not featured for two years in the Copa America, in the World Cup qualifiers. The likes of Inestrosa or Valoges, who, who are fine players, but these are guys in their mid to late twenties who've never done anything for Colombia and are now suddenly the the, the hopes for turning this around. Uh, and often what Colombia do is for 65 minutes, they get behind the ball. And we saw that against Argentina, kind of just defending for 65 minutes and then just panic and throw on five strikers. Uh, and it's kind of one extreme to the other. You know, it's it's get everyone behind the ball and try and keep the game tight and then try and nick something. And then, oh God, this isn't working. Right, let's throw on four strikers and have no midfield for the remaining 20 minutes. And, and neither of those are sensible ways to win a football match. So uh, Colombia are very much lost at this stage. Who knows? They could still make it to Qatar. I think Colombian fans will be a bit embarrassed if they did make it at this stage. Um, but uh, yeah, terrible, terrible week. And Colombia is, is not a happy place when it comes to international football right now. Yeah, but, but before we leave Colombia, what do you think they could do ahead of March? Do you think they're going to stick with the, with the same setup? Because we've seen a lot of other nations in South American qualifying during the process as, as recently as the last rounds. Change managers, for example... Um, we'll get on to one of those big changes in a moment. Um, but with Colombia, we, we are talking about a team, as you said, who have not scored now in seven games. That was really evident in that damaging defeat at home against Peru. But there was also a, a real marked passive nature of how they came in against Argentina, which, yes, we know Argentina have been very much improved. They've looked dangerous. They in Brazil have been head and shoulders really above the rest of the field. But we're talking about an Argentina team that were missing several players, had already got their place guaranteed. And yet we saw Colombia come to Argentina and really offer and not even look to take the game to them when it was in fact Colombia who were desperate for something from the game. Was that as much of a concern as anything else? And do you think it could be could lead to a big change in Colombian football before March. Yeah, it will be interesting to see because really Rueda came in as like the the, the safe ha- pair of hands, right? You know, we've had, uh, they brought in Quiros who tried to change things up quite a lot, um, made big changes for that initial Copa America. Colombia did okay. Um, and then uh, obviously the, the humiliating defeat against Uruguay and then Ecuador and then Quiros was gone. And then it was Rueda coming in, coming back to the national team, a guy who people liked, just generally a likable guy who would probably keep things simple, but that should be enough with the individual quality Colombia have to get them over the line. Keep the big stars, keep James, keep Cuadrado happy, give them an important role, and that should be enough. And obviously now, um, again, there's real bad feeling in the camp, not in the same way as with Quiros, because with Quiros it was like, we're angry, we're doing the, you know, the managers made changes and they've taken away what we are. With Rueda, he's really just given the important established players the role that they would like to play. So the players aren't really upset with the manager in the same way. They're just massively frustrated. You know, it's it's just like, what what do we do? Because you look at the 11 they played against Peru, and, and I, I would struggle to see more than one or two of the Peruvian players getting in that Colombia 11 in terms of profile, in terms of technical ability. You know, it, there's not as though Colombia are massively lacking ability. So 
it's hard to know what to do. The changes didn't help. Um, uh, and even, for example, like Jasa Espelija, who was really the star, the 18-year-old off to Watford, um, if we mention some transfers, that's an interesting one to watch. Uh, but he has such a good performance in the friendly Colombia had. And it's a friendly, it's a second-string team, but he was the real bright spark. You know, suddenly Colombia was excited. We've got this young guy, Espelija, he's going to do great. They named him in the full national team squad and then didn't even name him on the bench. And instead, you've got like 30-year-old fullbacks coming on and, you know, Tessijo's playing centre-back. So there was definitely chances for the manager to, to if he's going to just throw a curveball and throw in a random kind of guy from into the squad, bring him in, maybe he's going to spark something. The guys that he used for that role were established 30-year-olds who, who never played for the national team before. You know, there's, there's things he could have done to kind of build some enthusiasm. And the changes as well really upset a lot of people because Colombia looked okay and then they lost a lot of that control later on. It's difficult to know what to do because who would go to Colombia at this point? Which manager? You know, Colombia, if you ask Colombians, I, I've seen some polls, they'd love... Gajado, <laughs> but I don't think there's much chance of him leaving River to come and take over Colombia <laughs> to not qualify for the World Cup. Um, so then what do you do? You know, Osorio? Ooh. <laughs> An interesting candidate, although I, I'm not particularly impressed with what he's done in the Colombian League in the last few years. There really aren't many good Colombian managers, uh, and it's probably a, a tricky process to find someone who can come in, unify the group, but also there's a sense in Colombia that you need to shake things up a bit now. You can't keep uh, kind of... Because Hammers walked off the field screaming at the fans, going, you ungrateful so-and-sos. Um, and it's just not a good look right now. I think fans are sick of the sense that these big stars have, have been living off what they did in 2014 for the last eight years. Um, you know, obviously Colombia went to two World Cups having missed out for a decade. So there's there's reason to respect these guys, but I think the sense now is they want change, but they're still going to have to rely on some of these established guys who aren't going to be that keen on change. So it's a tricky decision and whether they'll make that in the next month, I doubt. I think just win the next two games and hope for the best. <laughs> Easier said than done with this Colombia side, but it's going to be a, it's going to be a shame because I I think this Colombia side probably in terms of ability has a higher ceiling than the likes of of Peru and probably even Chile but that doesn't mean anything if you if you can't perform on the pitch and you can't put the ball in the back of the net for a year or whatever it is now yeah absolutely I think it's, it's certainly a squad that people look at in something of a surprise from the outside to see where they are in, in danger of missing out uh, and Tom another one of those squads that certainly looked as though they could be in danger of doing the same with a, with a very talented group was, was Uruguay. And we, we spoke about them last time out. We spoke about the fact that they'd finally pulled the trigger on, on Tabárez. Diego Alonso's come in as manager. We did say at the time that maybe they did a bit of a favour to Alonso by holding that decision off until the fixtures became a bit more favourable. But they certainly did what they had to do last week in those two games and the Uruguay now look back on track in terms of heading to the World Cup. Yeah, I mean, it's almost the polar opposite of uh, what's happened with Colombia a couple of weeks ago, months ago. It was looking absolutely terrible for Uruguay and, and they've just picked up those two must-win games that probably in our hearts of hearts, we probably all would have expected them to, to win. But, you know, it's one thing being expected to, to get the result and actually going out and doing it. So real vindication for the choice to bring in Alonso. I think obviously he his impact was is there for everyone to see. Um, you know, you saw more attacking intent, you saw better pressing, intensity, winning the ball further up the pitch, and and real vindication for Suarez and Godin who combined for that that goal against uh, Paraguay to win the game. Obviously, not a great game by any stretch of the imagination. Not not one that will live long in the memory of anyone who watched it. And as per Pinnacle's pre-game odds, it was it was pretty tight. You know, they they couldn't really there wasn't much to choose between either of these sides. So the fact that it was just a single goal. Um, really nice finish actually from Suarez who'd, who'd also hit the crossbar um, in, the, in the first half as well um, to get to get that that win but I, I thought it was it was impressive it, it, it was kind of them grinding out the, the results like we're used to and, and then the real standout performance was that first half against Venezuela you know the best I've seen Uruguay play for some for, for a real long time actually um, excellent football in that first half obviously helped by the fact that Benzencourt um, had a lovely goal in what the first minute I think um, but it wasn't just that it was it was the fact that whereas you know we were talking there Simon was mentioning how there was no wild card for Colombia whereas Uruguay they they brought on uh, Facundo Pelistri in, in both games which 
it was I think it had a lot of people scratching their heads because he's he's not made an impact at United. He's not even necessarily a regular at Alaves, but he was absolutely fantastic. You know that that beautiful dribble and run to set up Derasquieta's goal um, was was yeah vindication again of the cho- uh, the choice to pick him. And yeah, I, th- I think. All in all, um, Uruguay are now extremely happy that they're um, that they've got those those wins, and and now their future is in their own hands. So, um, I think you can. I mean, you look at the next two fixtures against Peru and Chile, and and again, they're the absolute box office clashes for that um, for that final uh, round of games. But um, you think. Uruguay, they know what they need to do here. Just don't lose to Peru. Don't lose any ground. Peru, I think, will probably get some points up against Paraguay. But as long as Uruguay don't have an absolute mare, then there's no way that um, Colombia will catch them. And I think Chile are always going to struggle to pick up points against Brazil. So I've got faith that Uruguay have, have done enough just um, just as it uh, when it mattered most. But um, yeah, certainly they, they like to keep you hanging on the edge of your seat, really, in, until the last minute. Yeah, absolutely. As you say, it was a performance against Venezuela, which I think really caught the eye and, and seemed to breathe life back into Uruguay. I think supporters seem to be a lot buoyed by what they saw there at home. Um, you mentioned that the opening goal being so important, Tom Benton course scoring early on. Um, as we're just finishing a transfer period as well, we saw Benton Core make that move to Spurs. Um He's just made his debut off the bench, but what can Spurs expect to see from Rodrigo Bentancourt going forward? Well, I mean, he's such a classy operator. I think I've, I've always described him as a bit of a Rolls Royce of a midfielder. You know, he's he's tall, he's elegant, he's got a bit of physique about him, and and he just always looks like he's got loads of time on the ball. I think sometimes there's been the criticism both at Boca and Juve that in the really big games he can occasionally go a little bit missing and I do wonder if the intensity of the Premier League will suit his style of play I think he's someone who's tailor-made for maybe Italian League or or Spanish League but no he's he's got everything you want from a midfielder you know I think if he if he settles well and adapts to the Premier League, he's going to look like one of these guys who who just makes football look easy, like he's playing in his slippers. So he's he's I think he's going to bring a lot to that that side and um, and yeah, definitely um, a really really big signing. Obviously linked to to Aston Villa as well, um, which is a shame to miss out on him. But um, I think he, if anything, he's probably a better fit for the Spurs midfield than than what Villa are specifically looking for right now. So um, yeah, that's definitely a really big transfer, one that I'm really in, intrigued to watch because, well, I'm sure you, you as well, Peter, always a big fan of him when he was breaking through at Boca, originally more of a number ten, but has sort of settled into that more deep lying midfield role. But um, yeah, certainly, certainly um, a big step in his career, and, and I think only only going to benefit the Uruguay national team as well. Yeah, and, and by the looks of things, we'll be heading uh, to the World Cup. Simon, we'll come back to one of the teams that we mentioned while talking about Colombia because we talked about that something of a, a smash and grab result for Peru, but a massive one away to Colombia. Edison Flores having a dream week really for Peru by popping up not only with that late winner. But then again, in their second game, scoring what proved to be a vital equaliser against Ecuador. Obviously, all three points at home in that game would have gone a long way to pushing Peru into qualification. As it is, they've still got work to do. But considering where Peru were at the start of this qualification process, making that very slow start, how much of a success is it that we're talking about with this final round of or the final week of World Qualifying to come in March, that Peru are within their own hands having a place in the World Cup yet again? And how much credit could we give to Ricardo Gareca for maybe doing it once again? Yeah, absolutely. Huge amount of credit. And and even that draw uh, at home against Ecuador, I think, is is really creditable because Ecuador showed this week uh, how strong they can be, how impressive they can be when they get when they get going, when they start, you know, getting those attacks together, when they use all of that speed and that that creativity. Uh, Anderson Blatter, it's a really impressive side, Ecuador. So for Peru, you know, obviously they're at home, but to go one nil down early. Um, and still come back into that game and get the point, which I think is going to be vital. I think it's hugely important that game. You know, my I was hoping from a Colombian perspective that Ecuador, um, the old neighbours over there, can do us a favour. And uh, in in the end, Peru stuck into the game and then and then got that goal and and they looked much stronger. So they kind of really weathered the storm for sixty minutes. They they went behind early and, and Ecuador were looking very very strong. 
I thought it might be a, a comfortable Ecuador win, but uh, Peru finished the game strongly. And I think when we started this World Cup qualifying campaign, we saw a lot of countries that, some countries that were kind of sticking with what they had. In the case of Peru, a team that's a little bit aging, but has brought a few younger guys in as well, but a, a, a consistent and a lot of countries that were looking to kind of redefine themselves and make managerial changes. There were a lot of managerial vacancies in South America at the start of this World Cup qualifying campaign. And I think Peru, in the end, um, have, have brought things together. Have, they've got a unified group, which is a strong contrast to where Colombia are right now. And I think that's uh, been really, really important. Um, while I don't think anything about this Peruvian side is particularly revolutionary, there's nothing you know really, really exciting about them. But if you're solid, if you get men behind the ball, if you've got a group that knows each other, they know their, their strengths and their weaknesses, if you get a good organization, if you believe in the manager, then you know you can you can get the results necessary. And to get four points from these two games against sides which I think notably in Colombia and Ecuador, now, while Colombia have been flat, they're both sides that have a lot more pace, a lot more physicality, uh, a lot more creativity, perhaps even than Peru. But Peru did the job. So full credit to Peru. Um, I, I still think it's going to go down to the final game. And I still think it's going to be dramatic twists and turns. Um, imagine the, the final game of this World Cup qualifying when there's three or four teams all potentially qualif- could, could, could qualify playing at the same time. And there's goals in over here and goals in over there. I think... For the likes of Chile and Colombia, if they get to that stage, then there'll still be reason to believe. You know, it will still be interesting because um, you, you know, if Peru go a goal behind, then suddenly it all opens up again. It's going to be fascinating. But as you say, lots and lots of credit to Gareca, lots of credit to Peru because I didn't fancy them two weeks ago, and they've proved me wrong completely in terms of the results they've got this week. And uh, they finished that game against Ecuador looking much stronger than they started it. So again, I think that's a sign of great character and uh, and a strong uh, unified group. Yeah, Tom mentioned before that their next game is away to Uruguay, which looks difficult. Uruguay could really push themselves through into the World Cup qualification with a victory over Peru there. Crucially, maybe their final game of World Cup qualifying is at home to Paraguay. And Tom, we were talking before about managerial changes. Paraguay rolled the dice, brought in Guillermo Barrasquilotto for this final period. They were playing catch-up already. It's not as if he can really be blamed for their position. But certainly it hasn't had that managerial boost that they would have liked. They had a very poor week again. Um, and you're already looking at that appointment and thinking, I'm not really sure Barrasquilotto was the man to turn the fortunes of Paraguay around. Yeah, he's, he's a fine manager, but he's... I don't think he's anything better than they had um, before. So you look at Paraguay and, and it was the same old errors as well. You know, against Uruguay, um, they were they were they were doing really poorly from defending set pieces, which I think has dogged them throughout. I remember the Argentina game earlier in the um, the qualifiers. Uh, Argentina had a lot of joy through through uh, that route as well. And and for a Paraguay side, that's bread and butter. You've got to be doing better than that, really. So I think they just they've really tailed off, and you and you kind of wonder when next for Paraguay because that it's not you know it's a solid team there's lots of good hard-working players but there's no magic there you I mean yes Almiron is is someone who can make things happen but he was really well shackled I thought by Ronald Araujo quite a good um, tactical move there by Uruguay to, to stick a center back at, at right back to um to get rid of that um, key threat for, for them in that game. And against against Brazil, they were just so toothless. I mean, I know no one really goes to Brazil and wins games, but the manner in which they just capitulated, it's just, yeah, really, really poor. And and especially with other teams out there looking like they're improving and surely a team like Colombia going to be better in next qualifying. It does feel like that Paraguay are quite a long way off the pace and, and you just wonder when when are they going to get back to a World Cup because Ecuador are improving. I think Chile are improving. Peru are still showing they've got plenty uh, to give as well. And and even, you know, Bolivia are, are doing better than them. And, and Venezuela, you think, with Peckerman in charge and and on paper, a decent squad, they're going to be champing at the bit. And, you know, it'd be quite a fall from grace to see Paraguay knocking around those last spots when for a while they were you know pretty much World Cup regulars so yeah really really disappointing I think it's gone under the radar what a bad um, couple of games they've had there just because obviously the focus has been on teams above them but yeah really I'd be if I was a Paraguay fan right now I'd be not too positive about the future sorry guys yeah I mean uh, ditto uh, the problem for me looking from the outside as well as them appointing someone like 
Lado Scalotto is personally feel as though he's a coach that really benefits when he's got good individual players that can that can kind of bail him out at times and very reliant on individual moments rather than him setting up his teams to be particularly organised in a, in a way. Um, and I feel as though that's really what Paraguay need when you look at a more limited set of players than they're up against some of the teams that you mentioned there in South America. But time will tell whether that appointment, I don't think he's going to get given the, the chop because of their failure to qualify. He certainly wasn't at fault. Um, but before wrapping up, we, we didn't really talk um, about Chile because we're talking about the teams that are still in with a chance. Um, and Chile are right there, having come again rather late. We, we probably wrote them off earlier in, in the qualifying process. They lost at home to Argentina, um, but then picked up that much-needed win away to Bolivia to, to still leave themselves in that mix. Um, Simon, looking ahead to March, where they obviously go away to Brazil, uh, which they probably won't be expecting much. Then on the final day, host Uruguay, who may themselves still be playing for World Cup qualification. Is that a very tricky doubleheader for Chile? Maybe what makes them real outsiders to, to guarantee themselves a spot? Yeah, look, I think the, the win away against Bolivia will give them a lot of uh, confidence. It will show their resilience. You know, what I've been impressed with Chile is that they, they have that. They, you know, they seem to get the most out of the, the, what they have at the moment still. You know, there's still that experience core to the side. Alexis Sanchez uh, brings on a heroic performance at the altitude of Bolivia. Obviously, the, the altitude um, doesn't seem to have such an impact on Chile as some of the other sides, but that's a huge win, you know, to, to win in Bolivia 3-2. That's a huge result, and I think that will give them confidence to kind of overcome that adversity. Now, they're going to be facing a Brazil side who... Again, you know, they're, they're, they make changes, Brazil, but they still look strong. You know, we, we saw them flustered a little bit against Ecuador at times, uh, which may give some hope to some some others. But then they, you know, had another dominant performance in the following game. So uh, it's going to be interesting. Um, Chile have done very well to get back into it. Um, it. It shows, I think, the strength of character in that side, plus the ability they have. There's some reasons to be positive. Uh, ben Brereton as well uh, continues to impress. Uh, which is which is great for them. I think that gives them something in attack, a focal point, um, which they didn't necessarily have. So he's helped out Chile, and I think they've helped him out as well. He seems to be banging them in the championship these days, which is great. Um, but yeah, it's going to be very difficult. You know, going away to Brazil is going to be a blow, and I think the order of fixtures is interesting as well. You know, I think that will become a factor. That Uruguay Peru game is going to be really really interesting to see the whole of South America Chile Colombia everyone's been watching that I think for Chile and for Colombia they'll be hoping Uruguay get the win uh, to put a bit of pressure on Peru and yeah I think from a Colombian perspective you know we're just hoping and and waiting for Brazil to do the job against Chile and leave everything down to the final day. But if Chile gets something away in Brazil, and again, this is a Brazil who's already qualified, they're looking very, very professional. What you'd say about Brazil is they're professional. You know, they're not always as exciting as they could be uh, during these qualifiers, but their defense is very strong and they have a lot of attacking options and a lot of players who will be wanting to secure their place. You know, there's so many good wingers, so many, you know, the likes of Vinicius Jr., not a guaranteed starter, but when he gets his chance, he's obviously motivated. Rafinha's getting his chance. So what you see with Brazil is while they're rot rotating, there's no complacency with the guys who come in. Everyone knows it's so hard to get in that Brazil 11. Uh, and with less than a year to the World Cup, you know, we're talking 10 months now. You know, there's a lot of motivation still for Brazil. So it will be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how that game in Brazil goes because Chile may throw everything at Brazil and come up a bit short and then find themselves struggling in that really tricky game against Uruguay. Or they may kind of write it off mentally and see it as anything as a bonus against Brazil. And that could even help them. You know, you, you, you think, okay, well, if we get a point, we're delighted. If we get a win, brilliant. Um, it'll be interesting to see how these games are approached. And also the schedule as well, how these games, the timing works out. And, you know, when teams can see what's happening elsewhere, you know, maybe Uruguay decide, you know, you know what, a draw against Peru is okay. It will be interesting, you know, as a, you know, someone who's watched Colombia, I remember Colombia, Peru, obviously that game where Peru had a, a Falcao a little whisper in the ear of some of the Peruvian players to remind them, you know, job, job's done, lads. You know, let's not, let's not play anymore for the last five minutes. So it will be fascinating. There's going to be a lot of twists and turns. But yeah, credit to, for, to Chile uh, to get into this point. And uh, they'll be snapping at the hills of Peru. 
Um, you know, I, I don't really rate this Peruvian side. You know, I respect what they've done, but I, I could see them getting nothing from the next two games. Although Paraguay, of course, is, is not a stronger position. But if Peru, maybe this is wishful thinking. But if Peru don't get the job, there's, you know, there's, there's Colombia with two hopefully easy games and a motivated Chile. You know, things could definitely still change. Just because you mentioned there the professionalism and some of those players sort of probably playing for their hopeful spots in a World Cup squad for the likes of Brazil um, and Argentina. Tom, we saw Argentina win both games despite having already been qualified. We saw Brazil, as you mentioned, players that are maybe not necessarily automatic starters, but impressed in a very dominant win over Paraguay. Um, not looking ahead to March, because I think we know what we're going to get from Brazil and Argentina, even when they are qualified. But looking at where they are now and looking at some of those squad players coming in and doing well over the last couple of weeks, um, where do you think those two squads are now heading towards a World Cup? You know, Simon just said they're less than a year away from a World Cup, both of them featuring high up in the, the odds there amongst the favourites in Qatar. Um, do you think that's about right? Are we seeing two teams that look to be gathering momentum? Yeah, I mean, Brazil are obviously always going to be one of the favourites of the World Cup and, and the way that they've just eased their way through qualification without too many slip-ups at all is is really impressive. They've got so much depth. They've got, okay, maybe at fullback, they're, they're not the most um, blessed with talent right now, but pretty much everywhere else on the pitch, they've got, they've got, you know, strength and depth. Two of the best goalkeepers in the world when they're not trying to kick people's heads off. Um, four excellent centre-backs, I think. Um, you've got two of the best defensive midfielders in the world in Casemiro and Fabinho. And then obviously, a sprinkling of talent up front. Neymar, Vinicius Jr., probably the best player in Spain right now. Um, and then obviously a lot of other good guys who, who, who are coming in and, and making things difficult um, for, for Cheech's selection there. So Brazil are always going to be up there. I think the problem with that they have is they've got so few games against real top opposition, especially in Europe. So they're, they've got such a fine margin for uh, for victory, basically, because they, they get through to the maybe, let's say, the quarterfinal of a World Cup and come up against a European giant. If they win it, brilliant. Everything's, you know, gone to plan. But if they don't, it's like, oh, we've got to wait another four years until we get a shot to show what we can do against the very best. As for Argentina, I genuinely think that without <laughs> trying to get on their Scaloneta hype too much, that, you know, they do have a shot, a shot at this uh, World Cup now. I think before it was a case of, right, let's just be in the conversation and, and be maybe an outside bet for, for a World Cup spot. But the way they're playing and crucially, the mood in the camp is so good. I mean, you saw at the at the final scenes there after the Columbia win, you've got Emmy Martinez with the the, tro- the Copa America trophy in front of all the fans, uh, the Kempes. You know, they're, they're absolutely buzzing. And the fact that they've, I think this uh, round of fixtures was was on sort of under the radar, really impressive from Argentina because you know, no Messi, no Romero, even in the second game as well. Key players like De Paul, um, not there as as well. Um, and players like Di Maria, who, you know, you'll know as as well as anyone in, out there in Argentina, Peter. But it, he was, you know, someone who is not necessarily everyone's favourite. And and people were saying, what's what's he done for the national team, which was probably a bit harsh because he was so crucial um, in 2014. But, you know, he's really rehabilitating his image with the Argentinian people. The way he's taken that captain's armband, brilliant goal against uh, Chile. And I thought he was really good against Colombia as well. Lisandro Martinez coming into the defence and showing that he's ready to step up. And and certainly if not, he's going to, if he's not starting at the World Cup, he's, he's going to be the man going forward to part, partner uh, Cuti Romero. So I, I think Argentina are in a, in a great place right now and they've just got to feed off that those good vibes and, and and they've got a really really good chance I mean there's 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 no no reason to rule them out even though you know no one's going to put them in the top three or four but certainly I think they've got a, a claim to be you know fifth or sixth favorite for the World Cup and and where they were before and during last World Cup that is a million miles uh, away from from that disaster. So, yeah, really, really positive for Argentina, uh, and um, and yeah, uh, it's Qatar can't come soon enough. I think for most Argentinians right now. Yeah, absolutely. As you say, the, the fortune, the, the atmosphere around the national team, not just with the players, with the, with the people in Argentina, 
Di Maria really the focus of that now, the player who most people I think would have been happy not to see him in an Argentina shirt again post-2018 World Cup and, and put in some of the best performances he has done for the national team um, in the absence of Lionel Messi. Um, we're talking there about the fact that Argentina might be considered fifth or sixth favourites. I think according to Pinnacle's World Cup odds, they'd have them as the sixth favourites as things stand going into the World Cup. Um, with Brazil as the outright favourites. Simon, would you, before we leave the subject of World Cup qualification in South America, would you go along with that as Brazil being the favourites in Qatar? Yeah, I think I think we're kind of taking, well, in South America, a little bit Brazil for granted because they started so strongly and they've been so consistent. I think a lot of the feeling in South America is how exciting that Argentina were really quite good again. Um, it's interesting to see that Brazil are still top. Uh, that's more, more of a distant view and a, a full uh, assessment of the situation which I think is is fair enough but for me I, I'm, I'm really excited about this Argentina scene so I, I think perhaps because Brazil are so solid and so organised and so defensively strong um, I think that probably does make them uh, stronger candidates to win the World Cup than Argentina because of how important that solid base can be in a tournament but I think Argentina deserve a lot of credit for the incredible progress they've made um, you know, before 2018, um, I was kind of hoping Argentina wouldn't make it because they didn't deserve to. They didn't deserve to. You know, they were they were a shambles. Um, and, you know, obviously they got over the line and they, they were quite competitive. Uh, a bit of a shambles, I think, at the World Cup, but quite competitive. And to narrowly lose to France is obviously a respectable result. Um, but the difference since then has been incredible. Obviously, they sorted out the defence. The goalkeepers come in. Uh, the messy doesn't have to do everything anymore. He can he can have his moments and, and not have to drop and, and build the play from deep. So uh, I think it's fair to have Brazil as favourites. Uh, overall favourites is strong because I don't think they're a perfect side. And we saw against Ecuador um, that when things go against them, you know, they, they can be got at. Um, so I think it's perhaps a little bit generous to put them outright favourites, but they're definitely amongst the favourites. And I think Argentina, as Tom said, are, are now contenders. You know, I, I was... I was. I actually think I had a bet on the 2018 group stage that they wouldn't win any games, and I almost won. I think I almost won, <laughs> or they wouldn't qualify. I had so I had some money on Argentina doing badly in the group stage, and uh, and I was very close to winning that bet. So uh, in this in this upcoming World Cup, I won't be betting against Argentina. I'll be looking forward and enjoying what they can produce, uh, which is a nice change. Yeah, it absolutely is, and it has been a remarkable turnaround. So. It's definitely a date for your diaries in March, the final two fixtures in South America. 24th of March, we'll see Uruguay against Peru, as we mentioned, Colombia host Bolivia, Brazil against Chile, Paraguay, Ecuador, and then Argentina hosting Venezuela. And then the dramatic final day on the 29th of March, Peru against Paraguay, Venezuela, Colombia, Bolivia against Brazil, Chile against Uruguay and Argentina head to Ecuador for the final round. Remember, four automatic spots, the fifth spot going into that playoff. So really just a fascinating end to South American qualification that you should not miss. And of course, you can check out all those odds on pinnacle.com. Also, uh, this week, we have the return of the Copa Libertadores. It's the first round of the Copa Libertadores, the first round of qualifying long before even the group stage begins. Um, but it has to be said, Tom, uh, we've got three fixtures this week. Um, and considering it's the first stage of the Copa Libertadores, it's three quite intriguing fixtures on paper. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I think the one that really jumps out to me is the Monte Montevideo City Torque against Barcelona, which will be on the on Tuesday night. Pinnacle have uh, it pretty even in terms of the uh, the odds for that game with Torque 2.520 for a win, uh, Barcelona 2.850 for a win, and 3.110 for a draw. So pr- pretty hard to call that one. Um, I mean, it's, it's going to be really interesting because these are two sides packed with talent. I mean, Obviously, the rumours of Tevez to Barcelona failed to, to materialise. That would have been a great story. But, you know, they've got Byron Castillo, who's an, who's an excellent fullback there as well. Diaz pulling the strings. Um, Mastriani and Garces up front, you know, experienced guys who can, who can provide goals. And, um, and personally, I'm looking forward to the excellently named Adonis Stalin Preciado as well in, in the midfield there. But I think Torque are going to give them a real uh, run for their money because um, 
you know, they've uh, they've got an interestingly assembled squad there. Obviously, they've benefited from that link uh, link to the City group there. But um, you know, they they've got um, Sebastian Guerrero up front. He he popped up with a 98th minute equaliser in their first game of the of the season there in a one all draw against Cerro Lago. Um, but um, yeah, as well as him, who's who's definitely a player to watch out for. You've got Allende, the the promising Chilean midfielder. Uh, you've got Thiago Palacios, who we saw a lot of in Argentina at Platense and and came through the uh, the River Cate, uh, River Plate Academy. Nicolas Siri, a really exciting youngster as well. Even someone like Gaston uh, Sierra in, in goal was, was someone who I always loved for the under-20 uh, Uruguay side and thought he was going to have a bigger career. So there's a lot of um, interesting young names to watch there. And, and I think Barcelona will be really sort of worried about this fixture. I think they'll, they'll probably still prevail, um, you know, get the game back with intact in or, or not by losing too much. And, and then they'll, they'll probably be able to see them off in, in Guayaquil. But um, that's, that's going to be a real, real tough test early on. And, and potentially we could see a bit of a, bit of an upset, upset in the f- uh, first round. Yeah. It's a surprisingly strong tie for the first round of the story. As you say, Montevideo City Turkey, one of the, the city group, Clubs and have been steadily improving. They were in this Copa Sudamericana last year, failed to get out of their group stage, but of course only the winners progressed from that. Independiente from Argentina took the spot there, but they were very, very competitive. Maybe a little bit unfortunate not to have progressed in that tournament. This their first year in the Copa Libertadores, but by no means there just to make up the numbers against the Barcelona side that reached the semi-finals last year. So it's a, a big tie for that first round. Um, Simon, in the other two games we've got this week, we see Deportivo Lara hosting Bolívar and Universidad César Vallejo hosting Olympia. And I mean, Olympia, another huge club um, in South American football to find themselves here in the first round of qualifying. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think I think Olympia will fancy their chances against uh, César Vallejo. Obviously, uh, a Peruvian side, Peruvian teams haven't had the best uh, record, uh, not of Colombians, I can't, I can't criticize, uh, in the live stories in recent years. Um, Pinnacle have, uh, Cesar Vallejo at 3.90, uh, Olympia at 1.961. So Olympia are quite strong favorites in that one. Uh, and I think that's fair enough. Um, Olympia are a strong side. I think it'll be really interesting as well to see Deportivo Lara against Bolivar. Um, Lara, not, probably not Venezuela's strongest side. They've got a few interesting players. For me, Telasco Segovia, the 18-year-old defense midfielder, is a really, really high-quality player, incredibly mature and intelligent. He played last year's Libertadores qualifiers against Santos, and for me, he was kind of a standout performer in that game. So there's a few players. Also, I think Freddy Vargas is back from Dallas, uh, back from his loan in Dallas. So he'll be wanting to make a point, prove a point, 22-year-old formerly U20 international and obviously Bolivar are coming into this game off a 7-0 win against uh, against Blooming uh, in the league. So they're in good form and obviously they'll have the altitude. So I think for Deportivo Lara, they'll really need something in that first leg. Um, Pinnacle have this as, a, as an interesting one, 2.440 for Lara, 2.890 for Bolivar and 3.190 for the draw. So they think... They're probably looking at Bolivar's recent performances and putting a lot on that. Obviously, we've seen Bolivian sides generally do much, much better at home than away. Um, but if Lala want anything out of this game, they're really going to be motivated to get that win at home. Uh, and while I don't think they're quite on the level of uh, Tachira or Caracas, who we'll see in the group stage, uh, they've got a few decent players. Freddy Vargas will be one to watch. And uh, Telasco Segovia, I think, is a top, top player who could you know, have a future career in Europe. So... Uh, if you're tuning in, that's one to watch out for uh, as well. Uh, but Tom, you tell me, tell me about Olympia. You probably see them more than I have. What do you think of them? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think out of all the three ties, they are the the ones who look like they've got the most comfortable draw there. I mean, obviously, your anti-Peruvian bias from from what you've seen in the national team is probably affecting your your opinion of uh, C- uh, Cesar Vallejo. But, um, you know, I, I think Olympia will be pretty comfortable here. They've got, as they always seem to do, quite, quite an experienced group here. You know, you've got Alcaraz, Wigan legend um, there at the back and, and Salsa, Salcedo, who I always thought was pretty good at uh, Huracan uh, when he was in Argentina. And then just looking through the midfield, you've got Recalde, Camacho, Ortiz, Silva, Candia, 
all really seasoned pros in the middle and um, and Quintana's a good prospect as well. And up front, you've got Derlis Gonzalez, uh, lots of star quality there. So I think Olympia, while they might not necessarily do too much in the latter stages of this competition, they're going to, they're going to be pretty hopeful for a win here. I mean, you look at the the Peruvians and yes, they've got Asquez in midfield, who's who's a solid player with a lot of uh, European experience. But you look up front, you know, Santiago Silva, not not the one we all know and love, the, the other one, uh, Alejandro Ramirez and Abdiel Arroyo. You know, are they going to provide enough goals really to, to to get past this this tough to beat Olympia side? Whereas, yeah, as I mentioned, Derlis up front is going to be one of the better strikers in this, this tournament. And then, I mean, talking strikers as well, just quickly to go back to the the Bolivar team, obviously after they thumped Blooming there. I'm really interested to see what Bruno Savio and Chico, um, two Brazilians that they've brought in, are, are going to do because, you know, they were filling their boots there in that opening game of the season. And, and you always see some... Brazilian journeyman doing well with the Bolivian side. So I'll be keeping an eye out for them. And, and then, you know, they've got some good Bolivia internationals in their, in their side as, as well there. And even uh, probably one of Peter's favorites, Pato Rodriguez um, as well, making it, making a name for himself. So um, yeah, uh, it's going to be interesting. And uh, I think, uh, I think probably all the away sides in this first leg will be the ones who fancy their chances of, of getting by, but you know, it's it's definitely not a foregone conclusion, and we've seen some uh, side tumble at this stage um, in the past. Yeah, we have, it. and it's also worth knowing just how difficult it is to go from this stage in the Copa Libertadores through to the group stages and beyond, because it's a lot of football that we're very early in the season. We maybe in some leagues had the opening weekend just this weekend gone. Some leagues haven't even started yet, and yet these teams are straight back in with very competitive football. This week we have. The first legs of those ties. Next week, we have the second legs. And then the straight week after that, into the second round. And there's three rounds of these home and away games. So six games over the next six weeks just to get yourselves into the group stages. And before we leave that then, Simon, I mean, for example, when we talk about difficult runs, we're talking about Olympia being big favourites against the Abejo in their tie. If they were to win that, they then go and play Atletico Nacional, another former champion, then they would have to play the third round game against either Missionarios or Fluminense. So it's a really, really tricky path just to get to the group stages this year for some of these teams in the Copa Libertadores. And as I say, with the calendar the way it is, it's a, it's a really difficult aspect that needs to be considered when you're talking about the Libertadores and all of the, the things that we talk about making it such a difficult competition. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all of those sides, Missionarios, Fluminense, Olympia, Nacional, they're all going to be thinking they've got enough to, to challenge in the groups and potentially get out of the groups. But only one side is going to make it there. You know, these are, these are all big, big sides. And, uh, you know, it's a big, big deal to qualify for the Libertadores. And then if you find yourself in this early group qualifying rounds, you look at it and you think, you know, I, I'm going to have easier games in the group stage potentially than we're going to face in this qualifying rounds. Uh, I think Nacional have strengthened really well. They've signed Giovanni Moreno. Alex Mejia, Dolan Pavon, these are all my favourites, so I'm, I'm delighted. But I might not see them in a Libertadores group stage. They're going to have difficult games to come. So all of these four sides you've mentioned, and then obviously Cesar Viejo, don't invite them off um, as well. But Millonarios, Fluminense, Nacional, Olimpia, these are all some of the biggest sides in their countries, and only one of them is going to be in the group stage. So it's going to be fascinating to see. And, and uh, you know, while the qualifying round maybe doesn't get quite the attention of the, the group stage, and obviously we're all looking forward to the full thing getting underway in the, in the in a few weeks' time. Uh, the qualifying round definitely produces some really interesting games. And it's over two legs and it's drama and it's hugely, hugely important because for these players and for these teams, um, six Copa Libertadores group stage games is massive. You know, from a UK perspective, it gets you the visa to go and play in the Premier League or in the Championship or in League One. Uh, if you if you get into the qualifying, if you get into the group stage, you're there. If you're in the qualifying round, you don't get a, you don't get a visa. Uh, you think of the price it makes in terms of players' prof, uh, values. There's players who, for example, the the striker Caracas Akinola, he's staying at Caracas. He'll play six Libertadores group stage games, and that's gonna be a big opportunity for him and for his profile so there's so much to play for the clubs as well see the value and the importance of having these six games so it's nervy <laughs> you know if you get to the group stage and lose six games that's that's not great but to, to fall up on the in the qualifying round is a huge huge blow financially in terms of the whole plans for the season there'll be teams in these qualifying rounds 
who are rolling the dice, who are bringing in big players, big signings to get to that group stage because of what it will mean for the club, for the finances, for the profile. Um, and most of them are going to be disappointed. We're only going to have three of all of these sides we're speaking about, including the, the guys who aren't even in it yet. There's only going to be a handful of them who are going to make it through. So uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's a lot of pressure and it's going to be fascinating to see. So four, four teams of this lot will going to get into the group stage uh, and it's, it's not going to be easy. Yeah, a lot of pressure and a lot of football uh, because that all starts this week um, and it will just keep running through for the next six weeks, which will lead up to, of course, what we were starting the podcast talking about the world qualifiers. So all the way through March, we'll be having Copa Libertadores qualifying rounds starting this week, second legs next week, and then the start of the second round the week after that and so on. Um, Loads of football to come in South America. We'll be back again in March to look back on probably or... I'm assuming it will be afterwards, but look back on a, a thrilling end to World Cup qualification. We'll, of course, know by then as well the group stages of the Copa Libertadores. And once you get the group stages of the Copa Libertadores, you really do get a sense of South American football for the year being set up on its course. And you can just watch it all unfold. Um, that's what we've got to look forward to. Um, thanks, as ever, uh, Tom, for giving us your insight there on the qualifiers and on the Libertadores. Cheers, no, it's uh, always good to be part of this discussion and um, yeah, looking for an exciting end to the World Cup qualifiers and a, an exciting start to the Libertadores. So here's to yeah, uh, a mad competition that always gives us uh, plenty of, uh, of storylines. Yes, it does. And uh, thanks to you as well, Simon. Oh, you're welcome. Hopefully <laughs> Colombia make it to the World Cup. Otherwise, I'm resigning. Uh, but no, <laughs> uh, no, no. Enjoyed speaking to you about. It. I feel better. I feel better having having got that off my chest. That that some Colombian frustrations. Now I can dream of Colombian Libertadores uh, triumph for at least a couple of months, and then reality will will hit. But I still believe in Colombian football. We'll see how it goes. But yeah, enjoyed it. We will see how it goes, and we'll be back to pick over the bones of it in March. Um, until then, of course, go make sure you uh, keep an eye on the Copper Limit stories, and you can find all the latest odds and betting on the site on pinnacle.com, plus plenty of other content on the Twitter at pinnacle and the Instagram pinnacle.betting, and plenty of other sports as well. Please gamble responsibly, odds correct at the time of recording. We'll be back again next month. Thanks very much for listening.